Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. We have a very unique and very cool episode for you today. I'm talking with Rebecca and Megan of the bluesy roots rock and roll band Larkin Poe and also Giacomo Barrios. I don't know if I'm saying your last name correctly, Giacomo, I'm sorry, who is the conductor, producer and art director of New Deco, which is a genre-bending traditional orchestra, and together they have collaborated on Paint the Roses, a live and concert event uh, that you can stream online now, and it is so cool and so unique, and the sound is, I mean, like, traditional orchestra with, like, bluesy rock and and roll sisters. I mean, very cool. Uh, This episode, we get into how they got into their genres of music, what collaboration for them looks like um some things to look for if you're an artist considering collaboration green lights red flags etc uh and how their world in music via social media etc has been growing changing evolving there's lots of beautiful advice uh not just in the music world but like overall life advice in this episode and it was such a great uh chat uh with people that are just really effervescent artists i was very inspired by this conversation and i hope you are too um please enjoy this episode of not too deep with larkin poe and giacomo okay we have larkin poe and giacomo here with us today and this is very exciting um I'm so curious to talk to all of you about your art, your music, because it's under the umbrella of music, but it's obviously a little different and the collaboration that you guys have done together. So first of all, I have to know, how did you find yourself in music? Was there a moment that you connected and realized like, this is the only thing I want or need to do? Yes. Yeah. Well, um, Rebecca and I started playing violin when we were quite young. So Classic. I think you were three and I was four. So we don't have like strong memories of the first moment we played music, but <laughs> we from the ground up, we were, you know, entrenched in music and mm. parents constantly playing so much good music around the house. So mm-hmm. we just it was a big part of our lives. Yeah. And then in our early teens, we got involved in bluegrass music. Mm, and okay. from that point on, um, we took like a hard left out of classical town and straight into like traditional roots American music, which I don't even exactly know how that went down entirely it it sort of was an organic process it just stuck and from that point on music was definitely our decision and something that we absolutely loved started bands and we were in our teens and (gasps) yeah started a band together when we were like 14 15 years old and so we've been doing this for the last 15 years together as sisters that is is why we are tied together at the hippie of um, (laughs) we have a business together you know we tour the world together so it's 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 fantastic yeah very cool and Jackmo, what was your foray into the world of music? Yeah, uh, that I really like if they took a left turn out of classical town. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I took my left turn out of classical town only uh, about seven, eight years ago. But I was when I was 12 years old, um, you know, I was raised in a small town in, in Homestead, Florida, and I had a great little band. This is back when they used to have public school arts mm-hmm. program, middle school and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. like that. Or bands 
And I happened to just randomly pick an instrument that was really needed in all the bands, the jazz band, the concert band, the lower band, and the little orchestra we had. And it was the tuba. And I picked <gasps> the tuba. And I was a tuba player, professional tuba player for a while. I actually went to Juilliard and had a career, blah, blah, blah. But at the time, you know, I just was playing in bands all day long. And it was just so fun. And one day, my band director, who was super nurturing, and she obviously saw some talent and really, like, just gave me a helping hand. When I was 12 years old, she said, the Canadian brass are coming to town to Homestead. And I don't know if you know them, but the Canadian brass is like the most famous like brass chamber music group of all time. They basically mm-hmm. were a genre bending group themselves, like we are at New Deco. And I saw them at 12 years old and this tuba player standing on stage and he's playing all these crazy pieces of music and really technical and fast and virtuosic. And he was telling jokes to the whole stage. He had the whole audience in the palm of his hands. I was like, wow. I want to be that guy. That's amazing. <laughs> and he plays the tuba. And I ran home to my mom that night at 12 years old and said, I'm going to be a professional musician. I'm going to play the tuba professionally. And, you know, lo and behold, she was so sweet. She went out and bought all the little CDs that she could afford of the Boston Pops and the Caden Brass. And that was the beginning. Of- wow. <laughs> okay. So it seems like you both have had you know, support from your families in obviously similar and different ways. How uh, has that affected? Well, first of all, you guys started in violin. You started in tuba. Um, very sexy instruments all around. I think <laughs> everyone would admit. My older brother played sousaphone, and so uh, yeah. Nice. It, so you know how cool the tuba actually is. Oh yeah, watching him walk to school every morning carrying a sousaphone <laughs> really painted a picture for me. And I landed in comedy, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious how. Over, I mean, obviously, you guys, you said you started bands in your teenage years. How did you start developing, and I guess this is an ongoing process, like the the genre or the lane or the voice of the music that you wanted to create? Like, how did that, or did that find you kind of organically? Love that question. And I think originally we took the buckshot approach. Like, we just mm. took a shotgun and like... <laughs> Went for the scatter in terms of genre. Because, I mean, we've made many different records over the years. We've made Roots American records. We've made harder rock tracks. We originally started more in the bluegrass, like, folksy kind of, like, sensitive, introspective songwriting. Mm -hmm. We've done a lot of stuff. And I do think it's been a process of developing our voice of really honing in on on where our soul lies on the spectrum of music. And Mm. it's only been really, I think arguably in the last four or five years that we really feel like we've discovered our voice for sure in the in the roots rockin', blues rockin', southern rockin' vibes of of Larkin Poland. Cool. Wow, that makes me think about something. I remember you <laughs> told me a great quote that Elvis Costello said to you guys that don't get don't let other people tell you what genre you're in and keep precisely. Exp- mm. And you just said it was four or five years ago only that you started to find your voice at I, I it's I know this is a question, but just I'm curious about that. Like, when did that coalesce into your truth? I I mean, do you think that's a fair statement? Four or five years? I think it, I think it is only because we I think we had to go farther afield so that mm. we could, could return home um, to mm. roots music. So you kind of you know you push yourself past, and then you realize what's actually true about yourself, and you can kind of walk it back. And um, mm. I think that's what what kind of happened with us. Yeah. Like, it felt like a homecoming when we started um, producing our own records. 
that that felt mm. more like we, we it was truly us and i do point. think a large part you know being being females in in a predominantly male dominated genre particularly i think finding the comfort of accepting your intrinsic strengths of not feeling mm. like you're having to like change who you are as well mm. being like hey this is who we are and this is actually what makes us the most happy like we don't need we don't need to try and get anybody else's validation outside of really loving the art that we're making. And if that art is, you know, sort of left of center in the roots rock world, then we're so be it. So be it. Well, that's, I mean, that does make sense because I think for both of you, it's very apparent that there, like you said, is soul in the work that you do. And there's authenticity that you are genuinely enjoying what you're creating, that it doesn't seem like you're necessarily even though I will talk with later about like the communities and the audiences and that sort of thing. But it seems like you're, you're making stuff for you that feels true to you and you're not trying to make it to, you know, get on a chart somewhere or necessarily like try to figure out, you know, the formula as it might be. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that that's how you, that you feel witnessing what we do. Cause that is very much the truth. Like just to be able to, to be fortunate enough to do to do what we truly love and and yeah. to've been able to make music our livelihood for our entire adult lives like we just feel like we're winning we're just winning so hardcore <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> yeah i i i only ask that because i i would say that my voice has only been in the last couple of years even though i've been mm-hmm. conducting for 14 or so years 15 years now but um, and i'll just i think uh you know for me it was more about like switching from tuba to conducting was one thing like felt yeah. like i wasn't maximizing my talents as a tubist i loved the tuba i loved the orchestra i loved playing all the big classics but i just felt like there was something missing and there was more to my life than just that but then switching to conducting opened up this whole other world in the classical sphere you know as a tuba player you didn't play beethoven and mozart and bach that just wasn't the repertoire that i got to play so i got to mm. learn all this great music but then ultimately i started to get another sort of i don't know just got like a little more stir crazy within the genre itself. I felt like classical music was its own worst enemy. I felt like there was this Mm. glass mirror or glass glass wall between the audience and the orchestra. I felt like the music wasn't as diverse as I'd like to see it. And, you know, luckily I had a really great friend, best friend and partner and musical partner, Nudeco Sam Hyken. He and I were always kind of on the same page. We were both brass players and orchestras, and we loved the orchestra. We loved the symphonic institution. However, we did feel that the orchestra, you know, was in need of uh, maybe a little push toward the future or at least mm. something that we felt would be more authentic to all the different genres that we loved. And so we wanted to create a, a, an ensemble that was able to play in every genre and every style without any boundaries and, you know, mm. one Day is, you know, the orchestra is the greatest vehicle for artistic expression. There's no ceilings, walls, boundaries around it at all. You know, we yeah. can do any style. And especially with our orchestra, which is a hybrid ensemble, mixing mm-hmm. the acoustic instruments of the traditional orchestra with, you know, the hybrid nature of like a rock, indie, you know, uh, jazz, you know, instruments like, you know, keyboards, synthesizers, drums, electric guitars, all that kind of stuff. And so we've taken some time and years to really synthesize that sound and get it to be really holistic. Mm. And we believe it's a sound of the future. I think if Mozart was able to have Pro Tools or if Mozart had, <laughs> you know, uh, Sibelius and all these like, in, like a Moog, imagine Mozart on a Moog, he'd go crazy. I mean, he's this genius guy. <laughs> and I just feel like he was made fun of for making strings go pizzicato, which is where you pluck the string. You know, people yeah. said, no, 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 shame, shame, shame. The string is meant for the bow. Well, <laughs> 
everyone does pizzicato and every composer after that did that, you know, or like <laughs> dream Beethoven had these extreme dynamics that were just like insane. And people started doing that afterwards. So I, I'd like to believe if Mozart was around today, he would be, I mean, I kind of think he is reborn today in, in Jacob yeah. Collier. My, mm. my thing is I think Jacob Collier is Mozart reborn. Um, uh, but, you know, just, I think, that's the whole essence of the orchestra. It's been transforming. It's been growing. It's been becoming what it is over the last three, 400 years, really, on um, the way we see it. And it's this amazing humanity. It's like a microcosm of humanity, all these different instruments, all these different people, all these different backgrounds coming together to talk and communicate and play. And we just wanted to take it a step further to kind of what it, hone in on what we believe the sound of the future is. Mm. But I do believe there was something lost in the 20th century about the orchestra thing and it needed to be this it has to play this kind of music it can only do this kind of composer and it has to look this kind of way and people only clap at this certain time and mm-hmm. you know that kind of alienated a lot of people and actually did not do a it did you know the classic music industry a disservice and i think there's a lot of great ensembles out there doing really cool stuff and we're not claiming to be the end-all be-all however i think the sound and the music we we do is really authentic to our voices as as as, as musicians sam and i are and having the wide range of of you know, genres we love, but also taking the idea of what the orchestra can be for the future and making it now. Yeah, you guys talk a lot about kind of um, breaking away from the traditional sense of what someone would assume that you would do in, you know, the the genre of music that you have been sort of like assigned to or whatever, and kind of like, forgive me for the language, but like fucking with the etiquette of all of it a little bit. Which leads me to like your collaboration together, which on paper you look at, you go, that's interesting. And then when you listen to it, it's beautiful and it's joyful and it's fun. And it's just like, I'm so curious, how did the collaboration come about? Did someone slide into a DM? Was there uh, an email sent or how did this happen? Yeah, we have mutual friends at our management company, actually. And so whenever... COVID hit and I think everyone was reeling, trying to figure out how to continue to engage in the live music space. Uh, New Deco began a incredible live streaming performance series and they asked us to come be a part. And it was so cool. I mean, we met these people. It was just like this over Zoom. We had Mm -hmm. incredible conversations with Giacomo and Sam Hyken, who uh, they're kind of like the creative powerhouse of New Deco, those two fellas. And my sister and I, and we just met and began talking about h- how we would go about it, how we were going to bring the buffalo down and what songs we wanted to use and, and how we wanted the whole experience to run. And flew down to Miami, had a couple of days rehearsing and performing one, one, one day of rehearsals and then the performance. And, wow. uh, and it was that magical. Was it. <laughs> I mean, truly wow. magical. So that's much. A, yeah, that's a sign of a trust <laughs> right yeah. everywhere but also like an you know a collaboration that was meant to be if it came together seemingly that effortlessly yeah 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 you know so. i think you said something really great trust you know um our industry's built a lot on trust like people mm-hmm. honoring the contract to show up for the gig people honoring mm-hmm. the 
Yeah. Honoring the styles. And I think because at least the way Larkin Poe was introduced to us, Sam and I, by our manager at Red Light, Andrew Lee, was like, he's like, man, these girls are just killing it. They're amazing artists. They're amazing musicians. You got to listen to their stuff. And of course, we listened and we thought, wow, it's amazing. But, you know, they've heard me say this a lot. It was always a question mark. Well, how, how does this genre work with an orchestra? Because we hadn't mm-hmm. done it yet. So that was really my personal big question mark. But Sam was like, no, it's going to be great. And everyone's going to be great. And I think because there was this inherent trust, I mean, we pulled the trigger and we wanted to do it, of course. But once we started talking, we kind of knew we were dealing with some like real on the level people, like professionals who got it, who understood it, you know. And, you know, within just a few minutes of the first rehearsal, we knew right away this was going to be something special and magical. Mm -hmm. And, and all my sort of hesitation or reservations about those two styles or genres. Well, not really. We don't have a genre. So we want to be the genre. Of sort. <laughs> yeah. But working in the rock blues into an orchestra setting without it coming off as wonky or cheesy or too loud and not mm-hmm. nuanced and not honoring what the classical side can bring was something that was concerned. But again, within like just a few minutes, their artistry sh- shine through their arrangements shine through. And it was just mm-hmm. like this. And I feel so lucky too, because we were able to go on YouTube and, and really stalk you guys pretty effectively as well. <laughs> like my sister and I, we sat and watched, I mean, many videos in which New Deco collaborates with pretty much any artist under the sun in terms of genre that you could imagine. And it's always mm-hmm. seamless. It's always beautiful. And so mm-hmm. we had, I think, a lot of anticipation to see how they would translate our original music. And and also, yeah, a lot of faith, lot of faith. there. A lot of faith there. And it, and it mm. delivered, y'all. Man, it was... A leap of faith that led us to a beautiful sunset and sky. Oh, she can't stop writing songs in real time. (laughs) (laughs) And that's great to hear because you always wonder, like, did it actually go well? I mean, like the video looks beautiful, but who knows behind the scenes what happened? I'm curious if you have any advice for other musicians or artists that, you know, um, struggle with collaboration. If there are key items that you either think people should keep in mind to see as maybe red flags or as green mm-hmm. lights. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I'll jump in because one occurs yep. to me right off the tip. You know, my sister and I have, I think over the years, been very insular because when we sure. first started Larkin Poe, we were very young. We were figuring out what we wanted to sound like. And, and there who was we were that, in the world. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that intrinsic dynamic of, you know, deferring out of respect to someone who's older than you. So we had like mm-hmm. some really great experiences in the studio making records. However, we felt that a lot of our own creative opinions, we were sort of holding them very close and sure. deferring out of respect. So we became like sort of like, all right, we're putting up the shield, baby. Like we're going <laughs> to be just you and I against the world. Yeah. And so I think in leaning into a collaboration, that really is a testament to, to having a really strong backbone and knowing who you are as an artist. And once you're able to cultivate that inner strength of mm-hmm. this is my voice, this is my story, I accept it then that allows you, I think, a lot more flexibility and being able to open up to someone like Mudeco and say, hey, what's possible? Understand nobody can tell you who you are. Hell yeah. And so <laughs> once you know that, then don't let anybody tell you who you are. <laughs> yeah. That's just great life advice in general. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to echo that, except on the other side is one thing I've learned over the years because I was not this way in the beginning is be humble, listen, mm. be open. You know, if someone's coming to collaborate with you, uh, listen to what they have to say, you know, mm-hmm. listen, 
honor them and honor their art and do everything you can to elevate the other person. If you give, you get, if you give, you get, if you give, you get, you know, like the more Mm. you give of yourself and of your art and of your treasure to someone else, the more you get back and the feedback loop continues and thrives and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I, I would say another little truism that I heard, uh, the great conductor, Arthur Fiedler, who started, well, didn't start it. He kind of made the Boston pops what they are today. Mm-hmm. He's someone asked him, what kind of music does the Boston pops play in the early days of the Boston pops? It's like thirties and forties. And he said, so what kind of music do you play? Cause they were doing like Gershwin. They were doing, you know, light classics. They were doing, they were the first kind of genre of bending orchestra in a way. Mm-hmm. And he said, they're the good kind. And I really <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> mm. Love that. Yeah, just meaning like if he believes as the artistic leader of it, it's good. Sam and I believe it's just good music. We're going to make it work and we're going to listen and be open and be humble to to find a way to make that magic, make that spark. Very cool. Um, Yeah. uh, Giacomo, aren't you um, a meditation teacher? Mm -hmm. Okay, I can sense that in a lot of the way uh, you philosophize about music. (laughs) Like it's very balanced in a way. Um, They're present. Yeah. I mean, that's what we are. We're in the moment. That's all we got right now is right here, right now. That's all we have. And I think in music, it kind of really distills it down to the most microsecond. You know, you are, I think that's one of the things I love about conducting is, is Mm -hmm. you're so forced to be present right there. And you, you, you have to produce, critique, create all at the same time, but at the same time, you can't be anything other than in the moment. And that's something Mm. beautiful. And uh, and then the meditation hopefully helps me stay there when I'm not on the podium. <laughs> mm, nice. Well, we're gonna um, jump out of the moment for a second and take ah. uh, a quick break, but we'll be right back with more. Not too deep. Hello, listeners. Grace Helbig here. Wanting to say two things, a big thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, If you're a regular listener, if this is your first time listening, welcome and thank you. And uh, second thing, if you are enjoying yourself here in this not too deep world we've built and you'd like to leave us a review, that would be so wonderful. If you can go to the iTunes store, the app store and leave us a lovely little review comment. How are you feeling? Good, bad, otherwise? Maybe just good or otherwise would be appreciated. Other than that, enjoy the podcast. Okay, we're back in. I'm so curious because I've heard you guys talk together on uh, Giacomo's podcast about taking the ego out of the music that you do and having built a connection with your communities via social media, et cetera, um, in order to kind of like provide at shows this like full experiential moment for everyone. Is that kind of how you approach your music making now? Do you think about the community as a whole versus yourselves as individuals? I think that's fair to say. Um, and I think that every artist's, you know, experience is unique, but the journey that we have taken to this point in time, I think viewing what we make, viewing the songs that we, that we write, viewing the stories that we tell, I think mm. coming at it from the perspective of, of a group in a way has made it, um, I don't know, more personal, like somewhat that doesn't exactly make sense as to how that would work. It's, uh, it's a bit of a disconnect, but being able to, to focus on the aspect of community, thinking about, yeah. all right, 
we're a couple of people on stage and we're, we're trying to find resonance with our type of crazy. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's write the songs that we can imagine singing with everybody. That's yeah. been such a great gift for us in the last couple of years. Resonance with our type of crazy, I'm just saying, is a great album name. I'm throwing <laughs> it out there. <laughs> I like it. Heck yeah. Uh, Jackmo, do you guys think about the community as a whole when you're collaborating or composing? 100%. It's, I mean, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. You know, music is this great connector. And I feel like we want the orchestra to be this access point for so many different people from our community. You know, Miami is very rich and very diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, both in the Latin community, the Haitian community. Um, It's just a very rich culture down here. It's a melting pot of so many different stories and so many different backgrounds. So I think that kind of speaks to the essence and the DNA of who New Deco is. I've been Mm -hmm. from here myself. I grew up in an immigrant and migrant community. And, you know, my mom was a school teacher to all of those kids. She like really Mm -hmm. put her heart and soul into teaching the most underserved and the kids who really had, you know, the hardest time to get forward. So it just is part of our DNA to make sure we're speaking to as wide of an audience as possible. And, you know, part of the hook in the very beginning, it's different now because we're more solidified in who we are. and we're, We've got definitely certain buckets of styles and genres and things we do. But in the very beginning, we thought, well, like, who's going to want to come and hear this orchestra play new music by mm. living? Who's going to want to hear, you know, we just, it was more of like a new music ensemble type of vibe where we did a lot of living composers. So we thought, well, hey, let's put on like some Daft Punk. We love Daft Punk and we yeah. can reorchestrate. Daft Punk. And funny, the way Daft Punk is written, you know, a lot of it's written on synthesizers and looping and in the computer and stuff, but it comes across as very almost like Baroque and classical, like early Mm. classical weights on a grid. And so what fascinated us about them in the beginning was how can we take this music created on the grid, bring it Mm -hmm. off the grid and give it this human element. Mm -hmm. And so that turned into its own thing. So people who came to our very first concert per se, we're like, oh, there's a new music ensemble in Miami doing living composers. That's cool. So a lot of, you know, nerdy music loving, you know, professor type people came and saw that. And then we had Daft Punk on it. People were like, we were Daft Punk fans. We're like, what yeah. the hell? Orchestra <laughs> <laughs> And so you hear that. And then we had this really cool local group called Afro Beta. They're like the electronic music group. They were on our first uh, 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 concert and they had a kind of a big local following and we did some arrangements with them and it came out great. So people came to see them with an orchestra, like that's weird. So basically, long story short, we had like an 80 year old woman who was the grandmother of a friend in the orchestra. She came in to like support the orchestra. She goes, I didn't know that Daft Punk could be so cool. You know, (laughs) we had people who, you know, we thought would come for Daft Punk and ended up loving the new music and were blown away by it. We had Mm. Afro then play with an orchestra but really we're taken back by the Daft Punk so we became like or at least we feel like we're a place of access for everyone in the community um mm. so that if you have a love of the orchestra if you have a love of blues and rock uh, Larkin Poe or them as, as bands if you have a love of new music if you have a love of contemporary artists like we reimagine like our Beatles or Daft Punks or things like that not mm. Beatles um you know then you have this place to come so that's how we speak to our community is cool. provide access place for artists and artists and musicians and community members to come together and be just transformed and enriched by the kind of music we make. And hopefully it speaks to a a wide audience and is relevant. That's the most important thing is be relevant and speak to Mm. society. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, Megan, I'm curious what your creative rituals are, if you have any, or your pre-show shenanigans. Are there anything that, uh, that uh, that you do on a regular basis or things that might be a little bit, you know, uh, out of the box? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
trying to to pull something out of thin air. Like when you're songwriting, it mm-hmm. can be such a uh, a pressurized feeling. Yeah. Um. I I actually watched a lot of Elizabeth Gilbert. I mean, yeah. I read a lot of her books and watched a lot of her podcasts and you know streams about how to integrate with creativity because I think sometimes it can make you feel uh like there's so much pressure riding on your creative output and mm-hmm. you know a lot of um I think internal strife can come out sometimes and feeling like oh do I have anything that's like even worth saying or like who do I think I am the imposter syndrome oh yeah so yeah. like it can be a very I think anybody who engages with creativity can understand that push and pull where you want to do something really special but sometimes you kind of get in your own way. And so I'm all the time, like Meg and I have endless conversations, you know, about how we're going to approach our creativity and how we're going to create that zone. And I think having some rituals of like the space in which you write, you don't do Mm. anything but write in your little space. That's a big thing for me as a writer. And um, we're very diligent with our craft. Like, especially when we're on tour, we're not like big partier types. We're not big crazies. So we're just sort of like in it for the tunage. You know what I mean? (laughs) Absolutely. And keeping things fresh and like keeping things exciting. Like um, when we're on the road, like sometimes you're playing a lot of shows back Mm. to back to back. Yeah. Um, and so we we like to do things like we set an intention before the show. So it might be something kind of like creative and fun. Like we're all gonna, we're all gonna focus in on the lyrics tonight. And that's the intention. Like we're gonna, we're going to do nothing but listen to the lyrics mm-hmm. or something, you know, so that the show you're doing, that every show is a little yeah. bit different. I have yeah. to really shout out my sister here because this has been heard <laughs> in the last, I think, year of touring. That's been your new thing, you know, yeah. where everyone kind of does like the little high five and you just have a moment because it's four of us yeah. on stage. It's my sister and I and we have drums and bass and um, coming together. And the intentions you come up with are really creative. There was one night where we had to do musical buddies, where uh, like, <laughs> musical you know, buddies. like you're listening to one other person on stage, like, hey, it's your job to be paired up. Stay and, with your buddy. And you're listening Whoa. to the drummer or you're listening to the bassist and like that kind yeah. of cross connection. And it, and it absolutely elevates the shows because then you're having more fun. You're engaged in a different way. And oh, it that's keeps so it fun. And uh, yeah, the true essence of the buddy system. Also, I think it's a fun thing for your audience now to try to guess after the show what your intentions were throughout the show. What was their intention? I like it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, my favorite's always when it's like, all right, and tonight's intention is just to be goofy. And I'm really, I'm really good at the goofy. That's great. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Jackmo, do you have any, any weird rituals, any specific creative uh, endeavors? Yeah, lots of lots of all of that. I mean, in terms of the creativity side, I think long walks are my thing. I like mm. morning long or a night long walk or just sit on the treadmill, zone out and just let my mind let my mind be loose. Sometimes mm. we, you know, and even in meditation, sometimes I can get too dogmatic and I was like, quiet, quiet, quiet it down, get the mantras going, you know, want to let everything simmer. But sometimes it's nice to just let it let it go too and just see where the brain goes and how many thoughts come and you catch things here and there i think specifically for me personally before i go on stage to do some meditations of breathing work and i get really focused and stuff like that but one thing that we've been doing as an ensemble which kind of relates back to the buddy system which i really like by the way i'm gonna start adopting that if that's okay megan um is we have a powwow usually before the concert with the entire ensemble before we go on stage and Mm. we European entrance, which is where orchestras stand off stage before concert, and then all walk on together like a guest artist. Most cool. American orchestras are already sitting there playing, warming up, and you know, audience come in, they can see people on stage. We like that whole like grandeur of the European walk on. Mm. And so 
out on, you know, backstage, stage left, right, whatever. And we just, we just kind of recap a little bit of the week. It's usually been an exciting week. We want to thank our guest artists. We want, you know, we usually talk about how proud we are of the, you know, ensemble and, you know, the camaraderie and a little uplifting. Sometimes we've said prayers or we've done mantras together. We've done hmm. a couple of breaths here and there but it's just a quick minute to show sam and i to show our appreciation to the ensemble the guests the musicians and then we just say go out and have fun big smile on the face let's kill it let's do it let's have fun in fact we haven't been able to do those much because of covid right. in our outdoor venue right. to the arch center which is our main big venue uh next week and i i want to make sure we reinstitute that pre-concert uh powwow we call it sweet so, very yeah. cool yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to steal all of these ideas for everything <laughs> I do now. Um, okay, I'm going to get into the two questions I ask every single guest that's on Not Too Deep with me. Um, and the first is, who, alive or dead, would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at? <gasps> Ooh, yeah, I yeah. like this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm also an artist, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I looked you up. You have a lot of just amazing stuff. Like, you're yes, you do. <laughs> Talk about goofy. Hobby. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So- <laughs> I mean, there's so many different avenues you could take this question. I love it. Dude. Yeah, it's it's up to your intention. It can be um, you know, it can come from a harmful place. It can come from a celebratory place. Uh, and it can be an answer as I see it. It's just who comes to mind in this moment right now. This is kind of an always changing answer, I think. I think I'd like to um, throw cold spaghetti at Elvis Presley because I just don't know how he'd respond. <laughs> and I think it would be really fantastic to see what his reaction would be. I would love I like to see this. that. <laughs> Not in a harmful way, just in a, a curious way. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, ultimately, it's a harmless action. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I think I'm going to pick Kurt Cobain. Mm. I'm going to be like, why, Kurt? Why? <laughs> very fair wow i'm now i'm like stuck i'm like my mind is racing a million miles an hour i would say i would throw collective spaghetti at all the modernists in the early part of the 20th century that turned off so many people in the community on the York <laughs> doing music that they could stand mm. you know? yeah i think that uh, that would be a game changer <laughs> They guarded all their little secrets and their theoretical algorithms and formulas to create the music and, and were very pious about it. And that caused so many problems. We're still digging mm. us because it alienated a lot of really wonderful audience members. And uh, I think uh, orchestras get it now for sure, but I would, I, would, I would say them. Beautiful. Okay, the other question I ask every single guest is to tell us your worst pants shitting story or... <laughs> Okay, okay, hear me out, hear me out. Or like a bathroom emergency situation. However, you can only use three words or like small phrases to describe the event. So for example, for example, mine is college jogging front lawn. I love this. Oh my God. And there's no shame uh, because I've heard so so many. (laughs) I'm going to say first bus tour, (laughs) not allowed, no solids allowed on the bus. (laughs) 
<laughs> and three, can't figure out how to unlock the bus. <laughs> Just going to leave it at that. Just beautiful, beautiful. Uh, you and know. Those- in those moments, you really realize how resourceful or <laughs> oh, uh, non-resourceful you are as a human being. <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you really know who's going to go down like in the post-apocalyptic in those moments. Yeah. You're like, you know what? I'm not going to pick me. Yeah. You I really pick me for the team. <laughs> you dance with your creativity at that moment. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Oh my Anyone gosh. else? Man, I got a really bad one. I'm scared in front of all wonderful ladies to speak it but uh i'll just say it i was in shanghai i used to play in an orchestra in shanghai and uh well you can use just words or phrases or you're free to tell the whole story if you'd like fair uh (laughs) night before a bus tour okay szechuan hot pot which is the hottest oh yeah 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 there it is very sensitive boy in a sensitive stomach (laughs) ate way too much spicy Got on a bus that had a diesel engine in the middle of it that smelled like it was on fire with all these, my Chinese colleagues going to these rice fields to play a performance for a government uh, uh, communist party event that was celebrating the opening of these new condos in the middle of this rice field. No trees, no nothing around. First of all, the bus ride was like, my face was red. I was just like dying. (laughs) And when I got to the rice field and the patties, I did eventually have to run away from the group and and go far enough to where people couldn't tell if I was standing or not. Yeah. I like, oh wow. I like that you started by yeah. telling us like words and phrases and then just bled into telling the whole story. <laughs> I appreciate it's it. Funny. I just told that story the other night to someone too because we were talking about spicy food and, and I was telling the reason why I can't eat it. There you go. That'll you do go. it. Uh Megan, do you have a story? I've actually been pretty lucky. I mean, uh, like you her. always, it's always been Rebecca. Like, I feel like I'm, she's more discreet. I'm, I'm, she's more discreet. God bless. You know? I envy you. Same. Rebecca same. has the, um, the peacecapades. My peacecapades, girl. My peacecapades. You know, basically when you're, you know, when you've been in a band for 15 years and you've traveled around the world, you just find, you know, you just, you just kind of want to know where you can take a piss. And, oh, it's, and it's exciting. Yeah, it's think, an adventure. I think actually we don't, we just don't feel that embarrassed about it because when you're traveling with a group of people, you, it, you come become desensitized. You so gotta let it quickly. all hang out. Let yeah. it all hang out literally and figuratively. Yeah. I imagine it is similar to like being on Survivor where you all become very <laughs> close with your bodily functions very quickly. Small green rooms. <laughs> yeah. Toilet in the green room. You're like, well, here we go. Well, I will say, yeah. poopery is a game changer on the road. Just Amen. saying, I carry it in every bag I have. It is truly a holy grail product for me. Um, okay, now we're going to get into our last little bit. Uh, it's called Deep and Hot, where I have a deep question prepared for you guys. And then I'm curious about your hot takes on um, kind of like a subject that we have for you. So deep question for all of you. Is it ever too late? It's funny that this is on the heels of the pants shitting story, but uh, in general, (laughs) in general, let's say in in the world of creativity and art making, is it ever too late? No. Uh, My hot take is uh, the majority of the blues artists who inspire my sister and I, a lot of them were individuals at the turn of the century. I think of Sunhouse, I think of Skip James. And these are guys who didn't start their artistic journeys until they were in their 40s. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't think it's ever too late to make great work, personally. 
Bill Withers. Bill Withers. One of the world's greatest Bill Withers. songwriters. Yeah, started time. writing songs when he was in his 40s. In yeah. his 30s. Was he 30? In his 30s. 30s? But I mean, his career <laughs> didn't even last that long. So, wow. Yeah. Thank God for Bill Withers. <laughs> Jack Moe, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, I, it's funny. I think there's something like there's a meme going around on Instagram or something that says like, let's forget these 30 and the 30s and the 40 and the 40 like lists, because mm-hmm. like the reality is it takes so long to get, you know, what Thomas Edison was on the, the thousandth try of getting the light bulb, you know, like in his mm-hmm. 50s or something. But, you know, it's just like, if you want to improve your craft, you just have to steadily day by day improve it. It's not Mm -hmm. one day all of a sudden you're like this amazing, it just takes time and you have to like chip away at it and chip away until you get your Mm -hmm. master. So yeah, no, absolutely not. Yeah. I think it's all BS about like, it's, you you are where you are, you Mm -hmm. know, everyone's on their own journey. Mm -hmm. You're behind anybody. You're not ahead of anybody. We're all on our own specific journey. That's taking everybody where they need to go and, and the universe and life gives us wisdom and experiences to put us where we need to be. Mm-hmm. And if you're 45, 55, 65, it doesn't matter. It just matters that you are dedicated to your craft and your art and you're continuing to do it and that you don't give up. Because once you give up, mm-hmm. then you grow or, or grow anywhere. But if totally. you don't give up, you'll eventually get to where you need to go and you'll learn. What you totally. Um, with that kind of, you touched on social media. The other question I had for you guys are just your overall thoughts on how social media has affected the work that you do. Hugely, hugely. And, yeah. and, and I think mostly positive for us and mm-hmm. some negative. I mean, I think it's, I think that uh, social media can be so toxic in uh, compare like comparisons. Yeah. When you're constantly comparing, you know, your successes or your art or, like you're saying, Giacomo, you know, like having this sense of a, of a yardstick against which you have to measure yourself. Um, but then I think an equal measure, like if you can use it appropriately, it can connect you with connect you with incredible people around the world. We have mm-hmm. a little Garden of Eden of really supportive and beautiful music loving folks that follow us. And people are sweet to each other in the comments. Like you might have a troll, but then like the rest of the community, like, it's like, shame on you for being a troll. It's like this <laughs> really crazy. crazy, beautiful little community. And we wouldn't know them, but for Instagram and Facebook. I mean, we've made a lot of um, cover videos over the years. It's something that we like to do in our free time. And, you know, uh, so many of those videos have gone viral. And for us, that has made it made it to where that we can sell out, you know, sell out places that we've never been in the world, like Poland. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, amazing. It's, it's, so it's pretty, it's a pretty amazing how it kind of connects us to the real world too. Sure. Not, not just this um, kind of make-believe imaginary online world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I can't really speak to the personal side because I've, I've got like, like 10 followers compared to what Larkin Poe has. But I think for the New Deco side, one thing we did and we pivoted in actually, and Larkin Poe was part of it during when COVID lockdown hit was to really focus on digital content and putting mm. stuff out more regimented strategic way. We had stuff out there. We had videos, of course, but like we're also busy putting on concerts that we never actually got to put it back online for people to enjoy. And that gave us, the lockdown gave us the time to kind of sit back and think about what it is we had, what we wanted to release, et cetera, et cetera. And it really, 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 really served us well to, to have this constant steady stream of content coming out. And, and honestly, we, we, 
we actually hired right before COVID hit uh, a young girl who was our digital strategist for a little while, just kind of helping us peel apart the numbers and figuring out what was important and what. And that just taught us so much about audiences and who to market to and what to do and and how to do it and what music people like. And it just really kind of opened up our world to say, hey, you know what? We're a content creation media platform now, not just an orchestra. We're something bigger than just put in in five, six times a year. Let's and and I think that sort of shift overall for us the last 18 months or so, uh, and really being dedicated toward that shift and intentional about how we do it, um, really served us well. I mean, like our numbers on Spotify have really grown in the last year. Our YouTube numbers have really, really grown in the last year. And, you know, it's given us a worldwide fan base. I mean, not on the level of what Larkin Poe has yet, but like given us a worldwide fan base. So now that when we do live stream shows or we do musical releases or we actually have a ticketed event that someone could buy that's 10 bucks, 15 bucks, we're getting people from like Cameroon, Africa, France, Portugal, Spain, and Korea, South America, Mexico. We have like so many people from Mexico buying tickets. And, you know, when we do our live you know, video streams of like a concert or, or like a piece of music, we get people commenting from Chile and like around the world. Like Germany was crazy for Larkin Poe when we did our stuff with them. Cool. Um, so, I mean, and I think like album, the albums, the vinyls are selling really well in Europe too. Like I was told, I don't really know all the numbers, but like, and that's all because of the digital presence. So I, you know, again, we're learning as we go, because I don't think most work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's been really serving us well to, to have that intentional engaged uh, platform. And I finally had my very first really negative stalker kind of bad <laughs> thing that I, 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 you know, I know females probably get it a thousand times worse. And I, I, and I, I know <laughs> because of the position you guys have been and you've told me stories in the past before, Rebecca, like, like I've had my first one about a month ago and it kind of freaked me out and I kind of shut down. I was like, ah, like, what yeah. do I do? Like, person found everything and like did all this stuff and so there is that dark side but i think mm-hmm. all in all there's like this real positive way to connect with yeah. with the fans that that could be super supportive of your mission very cool um and i mean that's a that's an entry point once you get one uh, weird stalker situation like you've entered into the new echelon of social media <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah. Um, thank you guys so much. We've reached the end of the podcast, but before um, we totally wrap up, we like to give a token of our appreciation for our guests. And that is a personalized uh, horoscope from us to all of you. We have one for each of you that Melissa will put in the chat of uh, this conversation. And once she does, if you guys could all read them aloud. Um, Heck I believe yes. That's so fun. That's for Megan, the first one. Oh. Okay. You ready, girl? Dear Taurus, bull of the stars, Neptune turned direct on Wednesday, moving forward within your social zone. It makes you daydream about a perfect, harmonious world. And then you check social media and that gets trashed. Well, it was nice while it lasted. (laughs) How apropos. Gorgeous. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Let's see what we got. This is for me. Mm -hmm. Dear Capricorn Seagoat, of the stars, <laughs> Venus and Capricorn formed a sextile with the Neptune and Pisces earlier this week. It's time to start manifesting your dream life, whether as a musician mm. or as a pathologist. What? That's mm. so strange. <laughs> but it seems like you've already gone in one direction. I'm to to actually be completely serious. Our yeah. father is actually a pathologist, really? and that's what I intended to do as a child. Yeah, that's really funny. Whoa, it's yeah. in the stars. It's all in boom, the stars. Boom, boom. 
Ooh, <clears throat> here we go. Dear Taurus, Bull of the Stars, the solar eclipse and new moon in Sagittarius and your intimacy zone this weekend will allow you the opportunity to discover which areas you may be lacking. <laughs> is it chakras or is it your viola section in the orchestra? Figure it out. <laughs> Probably the viola <laughs> Love this. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been such a lovely conversation. Where can listeners and viewers find all of you if they don't already know? We're at Lark and Poe everywhere, L-A-R-K-I-N-P-O-E. And uh, hope the people come hang out with us. We definitely focus on just having a good time and hopefully inspiring other people around us to, to live creatively. So come on, come on, come be a part of the tribe. Yeah. Nice. And we're the same. We, you can find us on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook. Of course, we have a website, newdeco.org. Uh, we have a, you know, a Spotify playlist. We have our all our... You know, basically, if you really want to get to know us fast, go to YouTube. YouTube, you plug your new deck ensemble, go to mm-hmm. our page. You do a quick deep dive and then further your your knowledge about who we are, you know, in other areas. But YouTube is a great place to get a good start. Great. Well, thank you all so much. And congrats on the collaboration. It's absolutely stunning. Go check out. Go follow them everywhere, professionally <laughs> and healthfully, within reason, everyone. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you guys next time on another episode of Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep, too deep, too deep, not too deep. It was Grace Helbig. Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated. Producer Melissa D. Montz, edited by Shireen Lani Yunus. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. And an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. Music.